Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For it's a grand old team to play for, no doubt, and a grand old team to see, as I can testify over many decades. Glasgow Celtic, threatened by their own board not to bring Palestinian flags into the Champions League tie with Atletico Madrid this evening, have turned up in their thousands wearing Palestinian colours making human flags and the fear of the British government which moved the Celtic board to make that threat against their own supporters has been defied en masse. And if you knew their history, you would know why. The same reason why Irish politicians are out en masse, online, on the streets, demanding a ceasefire and a lifting of the blockade on the benighted people of the Gaza Strip. Israel has demanded the resignation of the head of the United Nations. Well, it's a step less than their assassination of the United Nations special envoy, Count Bernadotte of Sweden, shot dead in the street by a man who later became the Prime Minister of Israel. Terrorism, anyone? And we'll be asking just how many children have to die in the Gaza Strip before the politicians in Britain and the United States and Canada in particular decide that enough is enough. We'll be talking to the man who in a sane world would be at foggy bottom as the Secretary of State for the United States of America, Chris Lynn Hedges, and other excellent witnesses to the international situation that's unfolding before us. Fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be a bumpy night on the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. 344 children, yes, children, 344 children were murdered by Israeli airplanes in the last 24 hours. Do I need to run that statistic past you again? In any case, it's out of date because I have been sitting in this studio for at least one hour. And by the time this show is finished, and by the time you catch up with it, maybe some hours from now, maybe tomorrow morning, that statistic will be otios because it will have climbed and climbed and climbed. 756 Palestinians were killed in the last 24 hours. I know it's getting so horrific because Joe Biden says he doesn't know if he can rely on those figures even though they are attested to 
by surgeons, by doctors, by the Ministry of Health and by the United Nations itself present on the ground in the Gaza Strip, about which more later. I don't know if he wants the Palestinians to pile up their dead men, women and children. The mass of rotting flesh can perhaps then be measured and President Biden might then be satisfied that the military, political, diplomatic and propaganda aid that he and other Western politicians are affording this genocidal frenzy, an unhinged frenzy of violence on an area one of the smallest and most densely populated centers of population on the earth. 12,000 tons of explosive have now been dropped on the Gaza Strip since the 7th of October. That's the exact equivalent in explosive power of the atomic weapon that was dropped on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Except the Japanese city of Hiroshima is very much larger than the area of Gaza on which the 12,000 tons have been dropped. In Hiroshima, the people lived not remotely as densely packed together as they do in the Gaza Strip. And Hiroshima is remembered throughout the whole world until now and hopefully forever as a monument to the follow, folly and fearsome brutality of the use of such explosives against civilian populations. Gaza, I promise you, will also be remembered a long time hence, and maybe, and I pray, forever. And everybody who signed these petitions, these statements, these Hollywood celebrities and personalities, some of them, I damn them here on air. Sting, Sting, Stephen Fry, James Corden. Believe me, I could go on. The list is long and strong enough to turn your stomach. We stand with Israel now and always, say the signatories. Well, that, what you are watching on the screen now, is what they are standing with. And sting the blood of those children. Stephen Fry, the blood of those children, is now spattered lightly upon your garments and will be remembered forever that you put your name to these war crimes, to these crimes against humanity. A Hiroshima in 17 days, a Hiroshima has been dropped on an entirely defenseless people. Well over half of the people who have been killed in 17 days in Gaza are women and children. Not that men are any more deserving of this kind of death, but for some reason, maybe because I am a man of a certain age and a certain class, when I see these women, young and old, when I see these children, these babies, dismembered, beheaded, scorched beyond recognition, taken from these buildings, and when I think for a moment 
not only about the murderer who fired the weapon at them, knowing that these women and children were there, but more, more, more when I think that my own country is amongst the very few countries in the world that refuses to demand a ceasefire even for humanitarian aid to be brought into the strip while my blood runs cold. And it poses for the first time in my mind. I speak as a lifelong fighter against the breakup of Great Britain, the breakup of the United Kingdom. It places a doubt in my mind about how long people like me can resist the urge to put our shoulders to the wheel to break up this state they call the United Kingdom of Great Britain. This state stands dripping in blood and shame. My state stands disgraced before the entire world. And what about America? What about the United States? If ever you needed any kind of persuasion that the state of Israel is nothing more or less than what Robert F. Kennedy called America's aircraft carrier in the heart of the Middle East, then you only have to study the events of the last 17 days. The American Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is literally now a member of the Israeli cabinet. He is now literally a member of Israel's National Security Council. He's in perpetual presence of the killers as they make their dispensations, decide which children to murder next, which old ladies to behead next, which village, which town, which street, which house is going to be destroyed and everyone in it incinerated. The United States fleet has gathered in the eastern Mediterranean. NATO has assembled the greatest naval flotilla it has ever deployed right now in the eastern Mediterranean. Every airplane that's firing, every missile that is flying, every bomb that is falling, every bullet that is firing was given to the state of Israel by the United States of America, a country whose own population is living in tent cities, unable to afford medical care with a crumbling infrastructure, mounting unemployment, mounting poverty, unable to pay its bills, printing money like it was going out of fashion. Trust me, it is going to go out of fashion. All right, the US dollar will be just one of the collateral casualties of this whole affair. The United States of America is wholly responsible for most of the bloodshed taking place in Gaza right now. But its satraps, like Britain, like Germany, like Canada, are jointly and severally responsible, and they will never be forgiven. And in both cases, in fact, 
in the case of Canada, the United States, and Britain, there isn't even an opposition. The government and the leaders of the opposition are in an ironclad consensus that death and destruction has to be visited with no end in sight, no target number of dead Palestinian children in sight, no idea of when enough dead children will be enough. The so-called opposition in these countries are right behind their government. There are other satraps, of course, to a greater or lesser extent. Italy, France, many others in the so-called Western world. But the biggest criminals of all are the WASP alliance, the five eyes, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant countries who actually regard people in Spain and Portugal and Italy and even in the south of France, at least, as not really quite pucker members of the garden, a tinge of the jungle about them. Shame on all you idiots in power around the world that think these Anglo-Saxons care anything for you, never mind people darker than you. Shame on you idiots who imagine that any of this has anything to do with what you prattle about values, freedom of speech, democracy. Our democracy and freedom of speech has always been the lipstick on a pig. But that lipstick is now rubbed fully off. It is bare-faced, naked, Anglo-Saxon aggression that is being devastated upon the children and the women and the men of the Gaza Strip. My own football team, Glasgow Celtic, has shown the way tonight in a manner that has brought a tear to my eye even now. The board of the club told them, told the supporters, bring Palestinian flags, Israel and its armorers and its funders and its lickspittle mouthpieces has lost this argument forever. As long as one Palestinian remains alive, that flag, that flag of freedom will fly, will be carried in the hearts of free people everywhere and held aloft by people that are increasingly less free in Western countries around the world. I'm so moved because when I first got involved in this cause more than 50 years ago, you could have fitted all of the people ready to hold aloft the Palestinian flag into this really not very large studio in Britain. Now Hyde Park couldn't accommodate all the people ready and willing to hold that flag aloft, even under threat of arrest and prosecution, which is what every one of these 
supporters at Celtic tonight are risky. Time is short. I want to move on to a deadly and I believe more and more important question. Israel has murdered 36, three dozen United Nations officials in the Gaza Strip in the last 17 days. It has bombed United Nations schools, United Nations clinics, United Nations hospitals, United Nations food stores. It has banned the United Nations from bringing in water, medicine, and food for 2.2 million people living under this bombardment. It has denied visas to the United Nations, denied them visas to enter the country. Back in the day, they murdered the special envoy of the United Nations, Count Bernadotte of Sweden. He was shot dead by a man that later became the Prime Minister of Israel. And today, Israel accused the Secretary General of the United Nations of being an anti-Semite, a Nazi, a blood libeler, because he dared in what, as far as I can see, is the only cheap that has come out of his mouth since October the 7th. He dared to point out that actually Gaza was a prison break waiting to happen, although he put it much, much more delicately than that. And so I'm asking you this question. How can Israel continue to be a member of the United Nations when it is in utter rampage, flagrant defiance of international law? If you were a member of a golf club and you started murdering the officials of the golf club, if you called the president of the golf club an anti-Semitic Nazi, if you were destroying parts of the golf club, the clinics of the golf club, the physiotherapists of the golf club, if you destroyed the kitchens of the golf club, would you still be able to turn up at the golf club and take your seat as if nothing had happened? Go to the annual general meeting and participate in the running of that golf club? A banal analogy, I'll grant you, but one which I hope more and more people will begin to ask. This gang, led by Netanyahu, and including people even worse than him, has no place in civilized discourse, has no place at any kind of table with civilized people. They are murderers, pure and simple, child murderers at that. I don't know about you. I've never been so ashamed to be in a country and have a government and an opposition that so 
enraptured in love with a regime of child-killing murderers. It's much more where that came from. Coming up, fasten your seatbelt. It's the mother of all talk shows. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Joseph Borrell, he of The Garden, uh, gave a press conference this week. And at the end of it, after it had finished, a journalist shouted out, you realize that the word Ukraine was not spoken once in the course of this entire press conference. And once upon a time, uh, all of a few weeks ago, Three weeks ago, maybe, there would have been very few other words other than Ukraine uttered at a Joseph Borrell press conference. The page has been well and truly turned. Weapons that were destined for the Zelensky regime have been redirected, literally. Uh, Some of them uh, at sea have been redirected to the regime in Tel Aviv, the regime of Benjamin Netanyahu, the entire media, the entire pack of Pavlov's dogs that are ready to change their twibbon at the uh, flutter of an eye from the masters uh, have well and truly moved on. NAFO, do you remember them? They were dogs too. Once upon a time, you couldn't get moving for them. You'd step in their their, uh, excrement uh, every time you turned around. They've disappeared off the face of the earth. There is no NAFO. There are no Ukrainian flags. Ukraine is so last year. Now, that's partly, of course, because of events in the Middle East, uh, which the NATO powers have decided Uh, are more important to their vital interests. Uh, But it's also partly because of the abysmal failure of the Ukrainian so-called summer counter-offensive. Remember, they were going to have a big beach party in Crimea. They issued invitations. They issued tickets uh, for a beach party in the Crimea that they thought, indeed prayed, predicted, that they would conquer. Uh, by the end of the summer. But the uh, truth turned out to be very different, indeed quite the opposite. Russia is 
uh, making major territorial gains. The morale in all these circumstances, as you can imagine, of uh, the uh, Zelensky army has plummeted to the floor. Recruitment has become all but impossible. Anyone with money has fled to the flesh pots of Europe, where they're uh, currently in the casino round about this time. Those without money are going underground, and those press-ganged into the armed forces of the Ukraine are now defecting, some of them defecting in order to begin fighting with, on the side of, the Russian armed forces, and others merely uh, coming across as prisoners of war. Well, we will never forget the Ukrainian people, even if those who claimed they cared for them also very much have now entirely forgotten them. We have one of the best commentators, journalists, on the issues of Russia and Ukraine, a good friend of the show, Johnny Miller, to welcome back. Now, Johnny, thanks uh, very much for joining us. I'll come to you on the Middle East issues uh, in a minute, if I may. But uh, whilst the uh, Western public appears uh, almost like uh, a magic wand has been waved uh, to have entirely forgotten uh, the poor people of the Ukraine that they cruelly abused, uh, that cannot be true, of course, in Russia, where you work. Uh, it cannot be true because the war drags on. Tell us the atmosphere over the uh, proxy war now that everyone has moved on. Well, uh, predictions tend to make fools of all men. I, I think you've made some predictions before in your life, George, which proved to be very true. But I don't make many. But I, I, I predicted before the Ukrainian counteroffensive started back in March or April, the Ukrainian counteroffensive would be a, a complete failure. Anybody who has any understanding of this conflict knows perfectly well that the Ukrainian counteroffensive would be a failure. Um, not just for myself as a journalist working on the other side of the conflict. All this incredible propaganda campaign of the apparent uh, inability of the Russian army, lack of morale. I spent a lot of time in Donetsk, obviously speaking to Russian soldiers. Most of the mobilized Russian soldiers are conscripted from Russian society. Uh, the vast majority of Russian society, it's not a flag-waving, gung-ho joy about this war. It's more of a quiet, uh, resignation to they have to win this war and they feel threatened and they'll do what they have to do to, to, to win it. And it's been a massive miscalculation from NATO to think that they could uh, amount to strategic defeat on, on Russia. And that's proven correct. I think you've had many people on your, your show before, George, who, who understood that very well. It's been very clear. And I think it's been a massive failure by mainstream Western uh, 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 debates any, if you're in a think tank, if you're a journalist, if you said what I said, that the Ukrainian counter-offensive uh, would be a failure back in March or April, you'd lose your job. And there's been a massive failure of Western mainstream debate to, to understand the political realities. And that, that, that's what we've seen in this, this war in, in, in Ukraine, uh, a failure of NATO's understanding of the current political realities. Um, so at the moment, it's it's, uh, it's impossible to overstate the scale of that miscalculation, isn't it? Um, we have 
not only burned our relations uh, with Russia, the biggest country in the world, uh, pushed it into apparently indissoluble uh, closeness uh, with China, the other West adversary. Uh, and uh, we have effectively sunk our own economies, spending uh, uncounted, uncountable billions of taxpayers' money uh, to, to, to fuel a war which we've now literally walked away from. I mean, doesn't, this is not a mistake on the level of the income tax or, or, or a mistake in, uh, in HS2, uh, the high-speed rail link. Uh, this is a, a, a historical uh, turning point in world affairs and the expenditure of a king's ransom on a war we have all now walked away from. Yeah, I think, you know, I think in Western mainstream debates, we see people, it's, it's, it's reserved to, do you condemn this person? Do you condemn this person? Do you condemn Putin? Do you condemn Hamas? And there's a complete breakdown of intellectualism and a political realism. The reality is that the world is changing, that Western hegemony, uh, the American hegemony is dying. I don't see it with any joy. It's just, it's just an analysis. It's just the reality. And China is no longer rising, it's risen. And Russia, Russia has become resurgent. And Western policy really needs to adapt to this changing world's reality. You know, that, that is the reality. And I think that's what, what Ukraine um, has showed. Uh, so, you know, you, you talk about the Middle East now. I hope that there are people in the security establishment which realize that war in the Middle East for Western powers is not in their interests. Uh, the world has changed, and I think that's what we're seeing, hopefully, an understanding from NATO that their forecasts about what would happen in, in Ukraine, uh, their desires to bring down you know, Vladimir Putin government, the desire to launch a strategic uh, failure or, or defeat on Russia, was always pie in the sky. You've had many analysts on your show, I think, who understood this. We understand this, but of course, the problem is anybody who questions it, uh, it ends up being defamed by the media, losing their jobs, uh, attacked. Uh, you've got Julian Assange, of course, in jail. If everything else fails, let's just put him in jail. You know, and it happens right down the pyramids. You know, I'm a journalist with a you know, moderate following. You know, I do my best. You know, I recently had death threats. Um, I get attacked. You Google me, the, the, the attacks on me is, is, is insane. And I'm sure you have many people on your show, George. You, 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 you highlight alternative journalists. I'm sure they all have similar stories of being attacked in all sorts of ways. And for me, the major problem with Western mainstream debate right now is anybody who questions, anybody who says that, look, we this Ukrainian counteroffensive is going to be a failure. Anybody, everybody understands it. You'll lose your job. You'll lose it. And so they're, they're blinding themselves. Any think tanks, any journalists, anybody in British politics. They're blinding themselves by, by attacking anybody and trying to destroy anybody who questions, because it's not in British interest, it's not in European interest. This Ukrainian war was never in our interests, and that's proving to be correct. And anybody else like myself, and I'm sure many people who've had me a show, who come out and said it, is they, they try to attack and defame. And that, that for me is the major problem, that these attacks on any kind of alternative voices who try to bring reason to the conversation, try to bring the truth, um, that, that's the major problem for myself. Now, the fighting 
is still continuing. What can you tell us about the, the front line, Johnny? Well, to be honest, right now, the front line is, uh, is, is more, the fog of war is stronger now than it ever was. You know, I reported in Donetsk for much of this war. Uh, right now, it's, it, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Right now, we can see the Russian Ukrainian offense, the counteroffensive has, has failed. I expected it to have more success than it did. At least some success, but it hasn't. Right now, we see Russian uh, incremental advances, particularly around Adyevka. Adyevka is very important because it's a Ukrainian fortress town on the outskirts of Donetsk. Um, so I think the Russians are very keen to, to take that to stop uh, attacks on Donetsk. But it's it's difficult. War is hell. War is hell. It's uh, you know it's uh, it's difficult watching all the war the, the image of the Middle East right now. But um, you know, Ukrainian war has been forgotten about for, for soldiers, particularly on both sides. War is hell, and I think most people don't realize how, how difficult it is. So, Ukrainian counteroffensive has failed. We'll have to see whether you, Russian advances uh, will be more successful. But ultimately, um, we can see Ukraine now mobilizing women. Uh, the, the quality of the gang fashion, uh recruits into their army. Many people thought that Russia would have to mobilize again. If Russia wants to move to, to, to Kiev, they probably will have to mobilize again. If Russia hasn't mobilized again. Uh, we can clearly see that those who said from the start of this conflict that NATO wanted to, to, to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian is being proved correct. And that ultimately this war of attrition will be won by, by, by the country with the strongest manpower and resources. As I said, NATO has massively underestimated Russia's resolve. So we're seeing that slow grind. Um, as a journalist following this war, um, it's war is hell, and, it's, and I feel for the soldiers on both sides. Now you mentioned the Middle East, uh, as did I. Uh, is the NATO pivot to the Middle East a kind of displacement activity, in your view? Uh, uh, you know, we failed in Ukraine, we failed in Afghanistan before that, uh, and, uh, and, and so let's have another go somewhere else. Or, or, is, there, or is there a bigger picture here? Well, that's the big question, George. And, you know, I'm sure you have amazing contacts and analysts that you talk to. Um, and that, 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 that's a big, you know, question. I feel that, and many people are debating this, now, I don't feel that this war in the Middle East is in Western, British, American interests. I think they realize that. Uh, I think that they realize, you know, ultimately, all these wars now, they're on a broader scale. Uh, the United States is losing its hegemony. So I don't feel that, I don't see any joy. It's just the reality. The multipolar world is, is, is arriving. It's upon us. And so you're seeing an attempt by the United States to uh, try to try to attain its global dominance. And what's in the way of that? Uh, China is the number one issue, of course. They're the number one threat. Russia, Iran. Uh, but you know the problem now for Western policymakers is that you have this rise of China, Russia, Iran, and most of the rest of the world. You have Latin America, India. India is more allied with Russia. Um, so th that's really the, the greater problem that you're having and you're seeing. And I think this new World War III that we're talking about is hopefully, I say that, uh, 
you're hopefully going to end up with these small proxy wars rather than a, a nuclear war. And I think that's largely what we're seeing. But, but my view, and I may, I may well be wrong with this, and this is the debate between analysts, and I, the mainstream, we don't really take seriously. These mainstream papers and mainstream broadcasters, they're not written for serious people. They're written for the, the, the group of uh, the population, probably a majority, sadly, who just believe in them. For the thinking people, people like who watch your show, George, uh, we, we talk about this. And frankly, you know, I don't know your view on that, but my view is that I don't think the Americans and, 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 and British Europeans want a wider war in the Middle East. I may well be wrong about that. I think they're trying to real rein Israel back. I think um, I think they realize that a war with Iran, with the American military bases, etc. I don't, I don't think it's in their interest. And I think that some people in the security establishment realize that. And I think the mainstream journalists and politicians need to get on board and realize that it's not an American and British interest to have a wider war in the Middle East. I may well be wrong. There are other people, I don't know what you think, George, you know, about your knowledge. Uh, maybe they want to really go go for an attack around, but, but my view is that I think they realize that this war, wider war is, is not in Western interest. I'll let you know, Johnny Miller, thank you very much <laughs> indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Always a pleasure to see you. I'll be right back in 60 seconds. Count them. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Morsir is in Palestine, in Jerusalem. Uh, how's that for the Open University of the Airwaves? Morsir, welcome. Go ahead. George, thank you very much for having me. And on behalf welcome, of my sir. people, I would like to thank you. I would like to thank you on behalf of my people for your support for Palestinian people, and you stand with the right. So you have mentioned about ground invasion, and they say, you say they are uh, afraid to go. They will keep doing what they call in a strategy. It's called raison de guerre in, in, in France. It's, uh, it's a doctrine to uh, try to bombard as much as they can, even if they commit war crimes. So they will not go to ground invasion because they are, they are afraid to do these things because they will have too much loss. And uh, I would like to talk about what we are facing here in West Bank. We are facing a military lockdown. Uh, you know, uh, there is a checkpoint in front of every village in Palestine, even if in front of each cities in Palestine, Nablus, Ramallah, everywhere, there is a checkpoint. They are inspecting each car, you know, inspecting each person, uh, stealing our time, frustrating us. And I don't know that's what it will lead for what. And uh, I have a question to Western uh, governments. Uh, I was one of people who used to believe you in human rights and in, uh, in democracy and freedom and these things. But after what I see, and the last one before just one hour, uh, United Nations, they, they refused uh, to give or to, uh, to uh, refuse for ceasefire. That's what surprised for me. And I start. I don't believe from today about what they are talking always about freedom and uh, 
uh, human rights because all the what they are saying is lie, and we seen that, and they've been exposed to international world. A beautiful call, Monsieur. I'm grateful to you for it. It can't be easy in Jerusalem, in Palestine, to uh, get a call onto this show, and you persevered, and we uh, were able to hear your voice, and we heard it loud and clear. Uh, there is mass killing, even bombing from the air of the West Bank going on now. In the last two days, I've seen three uh, actual bombing raids on the West Bank, uh, where, of course, there's no Hamas. Uh, Hamas does not run the West Bank. So why is Israel bombing it? Why are they killing young men and children? Uh, uh, on a daily basis or standing by while armed settler gangs of Brooklynites roaming around claiming that God gave them the right to uh, come and uh, take the land there and shoot the people whose land it is there. Uh, this is happening uh, in Jerusalem and the West Bank on a daily basis and has been for decade after decade, house demolitions, ethnic cleansing, uh, and so on. So uh, anybody who believes that Israel is fighting Hamas is either willfully deceiving themselves or is being fooled. Just take a look at Jerusalem. Take a look at the West Bank, where nobody from Hamas has any power or any political influence in the society at all and you can see the scale of that lie. Thank you uh, uh, in Jerusalem for that call. Richard Medhurst, a frequent uh, broadcaster and guest on our show, somehow seems to bring something fresh uh, in every interview that he does, and he's up right now. Richard, welcome back on the mother of all uh, talk shows. Uh, we just heard uh, from... Uh, Jerusalem, that the United Nations has again refused uh, to demand a ceasefire. Uh, why is that? Hi, George. Thanks for having me, and thanks for your kind words. Um, yes, yeah, so it's it's unsurprising. I mean, uh, the, this debacle that's been unfolding at the UN since yes, yesterday, where um, they 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 were meeting. Uh, this included the, the UN Secretary General, um, Antonio Guterres, and he dared to say um, that the Hamas attack on October 7th did not happen in a vacuum. And, and again, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just reiterate that he prefaced his sentence and finished his sentence by saying that this is wrong and, and you know, he condemns Hamas uh, with all the usual you know, disclaimers and precautions that... that, that um, uh, Western politicians uh, tiptoe around with before they say anything that Israel might take, uh, you know, offense to. And nevertheless, the Israelis are asking him to resign. I mean, I've never heard of, a, of, of any UN country asking the Secretary General to resign. But of course, the Israelis, they, um, you know, they, they, uh, they, they, they're the first. And um, the, the, the reason the UN didn't come to a resolution or come to a, any form of agreement is because they're useless. You know, and, and I take no pleasure in saying that. Um, un unfortunately, uh, the way the UN was designed at the, at the end of World War II um, in, in San Francisco, it put, it put the five victors on a pedestal. And even, even though this includes the UK, uh, you know, it includes us and it includes 
uh, perhaps uh, people w- with a bit more uh, you know, reason, such as the Chinese or the Russians, to counterbalance. I don't think this was uh, sensible to have veto power um, and five permanent members, because again, this UN Security Council is 15 members, 10 of them on a rotating basis. We should have also been on a rotating basis, not, not permanently stationed there, because now you know, Israel essentially has three seats on the UN Security Council through us and the Americans and France. Um, and nothing ever gets done. And even when they do pass the resolutions like, like UN Security Council Resolution 242, which was the first one to pass after the 67 war, clearly saying to Israel, you have to get out of the Golan Heights, you have to get out of the West Bank, you have to get out of East Jerusalem. They just ignore it. You know, the, the Israelis always use the UN as, as the basis for their so-called legitimacy. They say we, we're a UN member state and, and we acceded through the partition plan. But then when the UN tells them to stop doing something bad, um, and to stop occupying the, the territories of three countries, right? Lebanon, Syria, Palestine. They just flat out ignore it. They couldn't care less. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, not surprised. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, I, I, say, I don't say that lightly because both my parents worked uh, in the UN peacekeeping. They were in South Lebanon when the Israelis attacked it. Uh, my father was in, in the Golan Heights, you know, which was between Syria and Israel. And, you know, uh, the, the Israelis have no respect for the UN. They attack uh, UN positions regularly. They've even killed people, UN workers in South Lebanon. Just now, in the last three weeks, they've killed, they've managed to kill 30 UN workers, uh, you know, from the UN Relief Agency, which is bewildering. Half of them are teachers. And then, of course, you know, they kill journalists. They just killed one of, one of Al Jazeera's veteran journalists, well, his family. And then they killed a Reuters journalist two weeks ago. And the medics, of course, they also kill medics. So, you know, journalists, UN and medical workers, the people who can witness Israel's crimes, uh, who are there to, to try and remedy the crimes, provide a solution or some sort form of peace, they just get killed. Uh, so I, I never expected the UN to do anything, unfortunately. If I arrived uh, uh, on this uh, stricken planet from Mars uh, and heard you uh, describe quite accurately uh, exactly how Israel behaves. Uh, and, and perhaps if you'd added that Israel actually came into being as a result of a United Nations resolution and that they killed, murdered uh, in terrorist attacks uh, uh, the leading United Nations official of the time, Count Bernadotte. If, and you told me that this gangster regime that you've just described uh, was hating the UN is actually still a member of it. And I, I would mm-hmm. ask you, how can that possibly be? Uh, well, how would you answer that? I don't know. I mean, the, the, the world is mad. Uh, I, I don't think the UN, um, you know, unfortunately, it's a defunct, uh, incapable, impotent body. Uh, we... we it, I'm not saying that it shouldn't exist. It should exist, but in but really, like actually, by when we apply the the UN Charter, you know, for example, that that you can't occupy someone else's country or kill them, or you know, basic things. <laughs> We're not asking much. Um, you know, if 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 Israel actually cared, uh, they would they would just follow the UN Charter. It's really not complicated. Um, and and then of course the, the the Security Council resolutions. I mean the fact that they couldn't come to an agreement uh, today is is shocking. What it, what is there to disagree about? You know the Israelis have butchered two thousand children. 
they, they managed to surpass their brutality of 2014, which even I did not anticipate, but I guess I, you know, that <laughs> I should have seen this coming. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's just beyond anything we've ever seen in Gaza, and they still managed to surpass it. It's very clear that you should condemn that and nothing else. There's no need to disagree or agree about Hamas. Hamas are, are a byproduct of, of resistance. You know, they, they're a consequence of occupation. If it's not Hamas, it will be uh, PIJ, uh, you know, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or, or anybody, the average person just taking up arms. Palestinians have tried every, um, you know, every route. Uh, they've tried all forms of diplomacy, and we've left them no recourse. The Oslo Accords are completely useless. Even Netanyahu himself says that they're useless, they, they're dead. So, you know, they've tried, they've tried diplomacy. The UN was there to supervise. The UN is on the ground, even in Palestine, and they cannot do anything. So, you know, if, if the UN Charter and, and the Geneva Convention say that, you're, you know, uh, the, the only thing you've left is armed struggle and the Palestinians apply the law. Um, and, and it's not just about the law, it's the, the moral position to resist an occupier. How, how can we blame them and disagree about that? Uh, even a ceasefire, in my opinion, is, is too light. Uh, you know, what does that mean, a ceasefire? Just so the Israelis can go bomb Gaza in, in, again in a year or two years or, or three years and do the same massacre all over again? There, there's something very, very you know, deeply wrong about, about uh, what Israel is. And it, it's, it's a colonial outpost. Um, and, uh, you know, the only way this is going to be fixed is if Palestinians are giving back their lands, that they have the real right to return and that the uh, Zionist settlers that we sent to Palestine also return to their homes. It's not really not a complicated solution. You don't even need the UN to do it. It just takes common sense. But yes, I, 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 George, I, I really wish that the, um, the United Nations could actually um, you know, fulfill their duties, that everybody would be much better off. And Guterres should not have to hold a press conference today, you know, groveling before the Israelis. He should call them out as terrorists. He should call them out as being violent, if, you know, because the word terrorist has been diluted by now. But, you know, he, he shouldn't have to apologize to them or pretend like he's, he's you know, he said something wrong yesterday. Uh, on the contrary, I think his, his, his remarks were too light. So, uh, you know, we need to have people that stand up for what the UN Charter says, that apply it, and uh, that's all it would take. What's the feeling uh, about uh, the Lebanese front? Uh, there's obviously a skirmishing going on. Israel is poking the, the uh, bear. Uh, they, are, uh, they are bombing uh, Syria's airports uh, in Aleppo and Damascus. Uh, they are killing uh, Hezbollah fighters uh, who are killing back across the frontier with anti-tank shells. But, but the uh, feared uh, all-out war uh, on the Lebanese front has not yet, at least, uh, taken fire. Do you expect it to? I don't think that the, um, you know, Hezbollah getting involved in, in a a fashion similar to 2006 or on that scale is contingent upon whether the Israelis go in to Gaza, um, you know, with a ground invasion. I think that the Israelis, um, they're, they're, you know, they're just not the same uh, military power that they were 50 years ago, for example. They, they are unable to contend with uh, the challenges that, that Hamas uh, pose. Um, you know, if they go in there, it's going to be like a cemetery for them. It's booby-trapped. Uh, Hamas has such an elaborate network of tunnels. They are prepared for this. The Israelis are not. You know, the Israelis are better described as a bunch of, of, of uh, you know, holiday goers with guns uh, that, that are just, you know, prowling Gaza beach. 
um, they don't have the same drive that a Palestinian has to liberate their, their, their homeland. You know, an Israeli can just run to the airport and go back to uh, whichever country they have as a dual, you know, uh, second citizenship or th even third. Palestinians have nowhere to go. They can't even go next door to Egypt. They can't even go next door, um, you know, which Israel would love, by the way, so they can get rid of them. Palestinians have the drive of somebody fighting on their own uh, land and fighting for their land, just like the Vietnamese uh, against the French and against the Americans. You cannot replace that or replicate it or imitate it or buy it or, or train it into someone. So when it comes to Lebanon, the Hezbollah have been involved and in, in a very elaborate way because what they've been doing is, is causing panic and paranoia uh, amongst the Israelis, they don't actually have to commit themselves to, you know, uh, pushing through like Hamas did on October 7th. Just, just by shelling some of the Israeli positions, which I should, which I should reiterate, are on Lebanese soil. They're illegally occupied by Israel. Uh, just by doing that, um, Israel have sent multiple divisions up to the north because they are paranoid. You know, they, they've got their finger on the trigger and they're scared that Hezbollah is going to come and humiliate them like in 2006 at any moment. And so uh, by doing that, the Israelis have also had to not only uh, dedicate uh, forces to the northern front, but also evacuate all these settlements. They've evacuated around 30 settlements. So now, ironically, the Israelis who have come and put Arabs uh, in tents and displaced Arabs from their homes are, they, are, are themselves now displaced and having to live in tents. Uh, the Israelis have created a 10-kilometer buffer zone uh, on the, you know, in the north with, with Lebanon because they're afraid that Hezbollah is going to wipe the floor with them. And so now the Israeli settlers, uh, tens of thousands of them have been evacuated and uh, they're, they're experiencing but a little taste of their own medicine uh, of what they've inflicted on, on, on the Arabs and particularly the Palestinians. Uh, Hezbollah have also shelled the radar, the electronic warfare and the surveillance systems that the Israelis have erected uh, on Lebanese soil. Um, and they've crippled around 70% of Israel's uh, electronic capabilities there. So the Israelis would be fighting, you know, um, with, with, with half an eye, essentially. Um, so the thing that Israel did is that they changed the rules of engagement when they killed that Reuters journalist. You know, before Hezbollah would, would only, I mean, Hezbollah and Hamas have always only targeted military uh, objectives. But Israel, by killing the uh, journalist Isam Abdullah from Reuters, they changed the rules of engagement. Um, and this is very, a very, very dangerous game because Israeli set settlers are not even civilians to begin with. They're, they're all in the military, male and female. They all have access to guns um, and they can kill with impunity while the Israeli occupation forces stand right behind them or beside them. So uh, this is a very dangerous game. And we're seeing shelling going from two kilometers inwards to five kilometers to seven. Uh, and, you know, after 2006, I didn't think the Israelis could be... Uh, uh, humiliated in a similar fashion or, or even in a greater fashion by Hamas, but it happened. And uh, with all the training, the munitions, the ordinances that, that Iran have supplied to Hezbollah, they've been training uh, and Israel is not ready for a fight with either one of them. Uh, you know, I remember in 2006 how the Hezbollah fighters would come up from the ground, from the tunnels they've dug, taking the Israelis by surprise. And that's just one aspect of it, George. Uh, you know, the Israelis really, really should back down because uh, maybe they think the Americans are going to clean up after them, but that's not, go that's not going to transpire, I'm afraid. Uh, finally, you've been uh, punished for your truth-telling. You've been demonetized by YouTube. How can people yes. help you? Well, this is the second time they do it. Um, the first time was in 2020, and 
you know, coincidentally, I was talking about the Abram Accords, which is, you know, also heavy, heavily critical of Israel. Uh, they can they can support me by uh, donating on PayPal or on Patreon. The uh, URL is Patreon.com/slash Richard Medhurst, um, and that would be a great help. And I appreciate you uh, plugging um, my show, George. It's very it's it's very um, much appreciated. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Mother of All Talk Shows, Richard Medhurst. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Chris Hedges, Pulitzer Prize winner, former head of the Middle East Bureau of the New York Times, uh, edged out over the Iraq war, is a very considerable expert on the Middle East. And we're very lucky that he's joined us again this evening here on the Mother of All Talk Shows to survey uh, the scene. Let's start uh, in Gaza, uh, Chris. We've both been across this course many times before, uh, but there's a particular frenzy and scale uh, to the current uh, slaughter, uh, even by comparison with previous ones, wouldn't you say? Yes, it really at this point rivals the massive ethnic cleansing campaigns of 1948 and 1949, when 750,000 Palestinians were pushed from their homes, a series of massacres, Darius seen, hundreds of Palestinians killed, including many women and children. Again, a ma another massive ethnic cleansing campaign in 1967, when Israel seized what was left of independent Palestinian territory, about 22% of Palestinian land in the West Bank and Gaza. Um, uh, it rivals that in terms of its brutality uh, the noises out of Jerusalem on the part of the Netanyahu government, as well as the long calls for the removal of Palestinians, not only from uh, the West Bank and Gaza, but from inside Israel, the Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. Uh, that has been a central tenant of many of the senior ministers in this far-right government, the most extreme government in Israel's history. Uh, the I don't think the word genocide at this point is inappropriate. Uh, cutting off food, water, uh, uh, medicine, fuel. Uh, hospitals now are on the cusp of some have already shut down. Uh, I mean, this is just absolutely appalling. And of course, what's even more appalling is the complicity of the international community, or let's call the certainly Washington and Europe. Uh, Washington has the Biden administration has vetoed, as you know, the uh, calls for ceasefire, even a pause uh, to get supplies in. Uh, it, it's really absolutely stunning. Uh, and I think it's clear that 
either all or part of the Gaza Strip will be bombed in rubble. Uh, the, the northern area, the area where 1.1 million Palestinians have had to evacuate is being uh, smashed, pounded day in and day out. I was in Sarajevo during the war. We were being hit with about three or 400 shells a day, uh, but the numbers of dead and wounded uh, were nothing, uh, such as we see in Gaza, hundreds, 500 a day, 700 a day, uh, and then thousands of wounded. Of course, we have to always remember that half of the residents in Gaza, roughly 2.2, 2.3 million people, over half of them are children. So it's, I, I'm, I'm uh, like you, uh, you know, extremely upset as somebody who spent, I spent seven years covering Gaza, months of my life in Gaza, but I'm also just, it's jaw dropping on the part of Washington and European capitals as they sit there uh, and do nothing uh, in front of this slaughter. Indeed, if you try and speak out against it, you're censored. Uh, you're, you're, you're attacked as an anti-Semite. Uh, and I mean, we've gone from the absurdity of uh, criticizing Israel as a form of anti-Semitism to criticizing genocide as a form of anti-Semitism. We'll come to uh, the Western governments in a minute, but let's uh, try and drill down on the Netanyahu government itself and on the political situation in the country. Before this happened, uh, Netanyahu was in a considerable degree of trouble. Uh, there were mass demonstrations every Saturday night against uh, him. And almost all of the liberal chattering classes in the West were behind those demonstrations and calling for Netanyahu to, uh, to step down. And now, uh, with one uh, leap, uh, he's free uh, with uh, a blank check in his pocket uh, from uh, these uh, same Western governments that wanted rid of him just a few weeks ago. Uh, is this frenzy of violence uh, connected to the instability, insecurity uh, of the Netanyahu government? I would say it's connected to the incompetence of the Netanyahu government. Uh, remember, they moved significant numbers of troops over to the West Bank uh, to protect settlers uh, who were having, I think, a Purim festival or some kind of festival in the West Bank. So the, the whole border area along Gaza was unmanned, basically, by soldiers. It's why Hamas fighters so easily entered uh, military outposts all up and down uh, the security barrier that Israel uh, had built. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, a huge intelligence failure. So uh, they didn't even see it coming, this massive incursion. Uh, so I would say it's, it's rooted in the gross incompetence in, on the part of the Netanyahu government, who now is polling, by the way, at about 22 percent. Uh, but the uh, attacks by the Hamas fighters have essentially given license. Now, you mentioned the demonstrations against Netanyahu. It's important to remember that none of those protesters were calling for equal rights for Palestinians. The Palestinians had been completely erased from their consciousness. And, you know, seven years in and out of Gaza, it became apparent to all of us who were reporting that you can't, I mean, these people have been locked inside this concentration camp, let's call it for what it is, for 22 years, many of those fighters who burst through 
those barriers had never been outside of Gaza their entire life. And you can't, and this was a theme that we kept reporting, although we were ignored, you can't brutalize these people week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, and not expect uh, a response. I'm not defending it, uh, but but we have to understand it. Um, to understand is not to condone. Uh, it was completely predictable. And, and this was Netanyahu's policy. After the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, we, Oslo is another issue, whether it would have worked or not. I knew Rabin. I covered him, actually, no Bibi. And, uh, uh, but, but there was an attempt on the part of Rabin and his government to reach some kind of accommodation through Oslo with the removal of Rabin. And Bibi is a creation of the Israel lobby in the United States, funded massively by AIPAC. In fact, when he was running against Rabin, uh, all sorts of American campaign advisors were there uh, demonizing Rabin. Rabin at, at Bibi Netanyahu's rallies, Rabin was being uh, dressed up in effigy. There was an effigy of Rabin in a Nazi uniform. And then, of course, one of Bibi's followers assassinated Rabin. But at that point, it snuffed out any attempt at accommodation. And Bibi and the far right, their policy was grind them under their boot. So even when they had in the March of Return 2018, you had nonviolent Gandhian-like protests, people approaching the fence and being gunned down by Israeli snipers. And many of those who were targeted, as you know, were medics, uh, were press, uh, quite consciously. And I've been in a lot of war. You, When you look through a sniper scope, you can see the face of the person that you obliterate, which is why I don't buy in to now what Israel admits is the quote-unquote accidental death of Shireen Abu Akhla from Al Jazeera. Uh, so this is a complete backfiring uh, or, or a complete collapse of the Netanyahu doctrine of crush them, uh, mow the lawn, as they say, periodically just bomb and shell Gaza. Remember, we're talking about attacking uh, a people in Gaza that has no army, no navy, no air force, no uh, artillery units, no mechanized units, no command and control. I really bristle at the idea of the word war. Uh, this isn't a war. This is indiscriminate slaughter. Uh, I am perfectly willing to condemn uh, Hamas's rockets, uh, Islamic uh, Palestine, Islamic Jihad, those rockets into Israel as a war crime because they're indiscriminate. I'm even willing to condemn the killing of civilians by Hamas as a war crime. But if you really want to get uh, cold-blooded and tally up the numbers, uh, the, uh, Israel's uh, killing f dwarfs anything that Hamas has been able to do, including, of course, this attack that left 1,400 Israelis dead. So, uh, you know, wh where is it going to go? I think that, uh, I, you know, there's a, there are reports that Israel will flood the tunnels rather than trying to fight within them. Uh, but that, of course, would kill all the hostages. Uh, but I wouldn't uh, exclude it as an Israeli policy. Uh, they they have sacrificed throughout their history. Hostages, hostage takers in the past uh, have been slaughtered along with the hostages. Uh, there are some reports that out of the kibbutzim, uh, this may have been what happened, uh, that they in fact were not killed by Hamas, but they the Israeli IDF went in there and obliterated these houses where Israelis were being held hostage. I don't know. I'm not on the ground. I'm not reporting it. Uh, but it certainly fits with my own coverage of Israel. And we have seen cases where Israeli soldiers have been seized by Hamas, taken into Gaza, 
And rather than rescue those soldiers, they just obliterate the entire spot, killing hundreds of people along with a soldier uh, where, where they're being held. Let's turn to these Western governments then. Uh, um, we, we, we know about war. We also know about politicians. Uh, politicians in countries that have elections uh, usually have to be sensitive to what appear to be uh, movements in public opinion. It uh, would seem to me uh, undeniable that in virtually all, if not all, uh, Western countries, uh, there has been a massive movement uh, of public sympathy for the Palestinian people, accentuated uh, rapidly over the last 17 days by uh, social media pictures and footage, uh, which uh, is difficult to look at, especially for people like you and me who know uh, these families, who know these towns and villages. Uh, but uh, those who are looking at these pictures and videos are being moved. And you can see that, you can feel that. And yet your government and my government uh, are uh, absolutely ironclad uh, side by side uh, with uh, Netanyahu. What's that all about? Money. <laughs> They're bought off. Uh, you know, the Israel lobby and uh, Al Jazeera did a great series of both on the UK and the US. The, the, it was an undercover reporter who reported that actually the UK investigation got aired. The, the Israel lobby blocked, Israel blocked the, the uh, broadcasting of the uh, investigation into the Israel lobby in the United States. Pirated versions were put up on Electronic Intifada and other sites. And it's certainly worth watching because it just shows how captive the American political class is to the money uh, that is poured into their campaigns. Uh, and then also they will use those resources to take down candidates. Cynthia McKinney would be a good example that get up uh, and criticize Israeli war crimes. Uh, Rashida Talid, who is of Palestinian descent, has been a target of the Israel lobby every time she runs. And, and we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. So these governments are not responsive in any way to public opinion. They're not responsive to international law. Uh, they're not responsive to genocide, this insane book that Samantha Power wrote, A Problem from Hell, where the U.S. suddenly is held up as the uh, country that should intervene, these humanitarian interventionists uh, who brought us the wars in the Middle East and brought us the war, the, you know, the breakdown of Libya and Syria and everywhere else, uh, and of course have fueled the insanity in the Ukraine, are completely silent. Now, I mean, and the, and the genocidal campaign on the part of Israel is far greater uh, in terms of magnitude, daily magnitude, than anything the Russians have done uh, or anything that uh, any of these regimes, Gaddafi, I knew Gaddafi, I think you did too, any of these regimes in the Middle East did. So the hypocrisy is rank. And uh, and it's, it's, it's the, I mean, the fundamental problem is the Palestinians don't have power and they're virtually friendless. And the Middle East regimes are very two-faced about their support for the Palestinian. It's skin deep. Uh, there's, of course, strong resentment towards Israel and what it's doing, as there should be. Uh, and that has seen uh, King Abdullah, who I also knew his father very well, went to school with King Abdullah. Uh, so uh, they have to respond. But these people are essentially lackeys of Western countries, in particular the United States. Uh, Jordan would be a good example of that. In Saudi Arabia, they'll make the right noises, but have 
long, uh, the, the uh, kingdom of Saudi Arabia has long betrayed the Palestinians. Uh, so they're really friendless, powerless. And because of that, they are being slaughtered en masse in, and, and have, we're, we're talking about no water, running out of water, uh, running out of uh, food, fuel. You can't uh, pump water. Uh, I mean, water's always been a problem, as you know, in Gaza, even before, because the Israelis in both the West Bank and Gaza siphon off the aquifers. So uh, clean drinking water, it was a huge issue even before this attack. Uh, and and uh, uh, th there's just, there are very, very few, there may be volunteers from Iraq we hear, and uh, they're the, the only real alliances they have are with Hezbollah um, on the northern border of uh, Israel and Lebanon and Iran and Syria. But of course, the, the, they talk about a wider war. Well, that's already begun. Israel has carried out two, two airstrikes against the uh, airports in uh, Damascus and Aleppo. Uh, in order to prevent su supplies, military supplies, getting to Hezbollah. Um, how far will this go? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, once you be open that Pandora's box of war, and I spent 20 years covering conflicts all over the globe, you don't control it. It controls you. Uh, so this could go horribly wrong in terms of a regional conflict. Uh, but I the myopia of the Netanyahu government. I mean, look, they're calling Palestinians Nazis. Uh, this is just utter insanity. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I don't see it. I mean, if the U.S. wants a pause on the invasion because they want to get their uh, air defense missile systems in place, uh, uh, fearing assaults, uh, quite correctly, there already have been assaults on American bases in Iraq and Syria. And that could become more serious. But this really could go, you know, if, if Israel starts striking deep within Lebanon, Lebanon has quite an arsenal of missiles that, I mean, let's be clear, these rockets from Palestinians, are, they're kind of fireworks. I mean, they, they, uh, they're they lethal, but in a, to, to a very small degree, they're very inaccurate. Uh, but that's not true with the missile capability of Hezbollah that could really target infrastructure within Israel and cause quite a bit of damage. And then if that begins to happen, there's no telling. Remember, Israel is the one nuclear power within the Middle East. Do they drop a, uh, you know, some kind of nuclear device on Iran? I mean, none of that is out of the realm of possibility, given the, uh, you know, demented uh, figures within the Netanyahu cabinet will all come out of that old Kahana, Kahana, Mayor Kahana was a a far-right rabbi. He was in Israel when I was there and uh, was actually banned because of his extremism. But these people are all the children of Kahana. Does, how does this all play into the election season in the United States? Uh, there's bipartisanship in your country and in mine. So no one party is going to take advantage. Uh, but my one candidate or other uh, break from the pack uh, and uh, and seek to uh, use the current real grave danger of a wider regional war with the American Navy right in the middle of it. I doubt it. I mean, you have read Bobby Kennedy. He's uh, he's he's uh, repeating every talking point of the far right. The only candidate uh, is my friend Cornell West, but you know he has no real traction, political traction. Uh, no, the, 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 it, and you have to look at the media coverage in the United States. 
which is slavishly pro-Israel and uh, gives voice to Israeli victims. I, I, as a reporter, those victims should be heard, but so should the Palestinian victims, uh, which uh, there's a kind of a very uh, marginal or superficial attempt to acknowledge a Palestinian voice so it's not uh, completely ignored and, and, and the, the bias is not completely exposed. Uh, but the 90 plus, 95 percent plus of the coverage is essentially Israeli propaganda and the two parties by the, the ruling class uh, the, the, within the two parties is essentially uh, completely backing up uh, the Israelis, in fact, doing their dirty work uh, to prevent a ceasefire. Well, that's the thing I find the most staggering, that the Biden administration, it ha which has the capacity to pressure Israel because we're a huge arms supporter, uh, $3 billion a year in arms, uh, and of course now more arms because the, the stocks of the Israelis are being depleted. It has the power to stop it, and it won't. Ukraine, remember that? Uh, <laughs> the ease with which they have turned the page is uh, is quite bewildering. I mean, uh, well, Ukraine feels like Ukraine a decade ago well. instead Ukraine's of two weeks ago. Yeah, but Ukraine's a disaster. It is a complete disaster, as many of us who you know have covered war understood. It's a complete stalemate. Uh, it's just uh, you know what what's happening is the Ukrainian is you know uh, Ukrainians are essentially bleeding to death. Their country is being destroyed for. U.S. global interests, which is the isolation of Putin and and the de degradation or degrading the Russian army, but it's that was completely predictable. So yeah, of course they and, and you know even before October seventh, the coverage in the United States of Ukraine had significantly dropped off because it wasn't good news. Uh, it was that cheerleading for the valiant Ukrainians who were about to uh, you know push the Russian Empire back over the border. It didn't really work anymore given the facts on the ground, which even the media couldn't cover up. Chris Hedges, as always, a tour de force. Thanks for joining us on the mother Thank of you, all talk shows. So finally, are Sunak, Biden and von der Leyen <laughs> complicit in war crimes? Well, I'd like to tell you it was a close run thing, <laughs> but it sure wasn't. Uh, on Telegram, 99% find Sunak, Biden and von der Leyen guilty of complicity in war crimes. Uh, on uh, Telegram, 93%. On the YouTube community poll, 94%. And on the YouTube stream, 97%. 27,164 people voted. Thank you to all of you. So the first two parts of my Killings trilogy uh, the Killings of Tony Blair and Killing Kelly, the film that you've just seen an excerpt from there, are available entirely free if you become a subscriber to my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. It'll cost you the price of a cup of tea in a cafe per week to support my work. I really hope that you think I'm worth that. That's patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. I really depend on it and I'm really seriously asking you to become a patron and you'll get those two films right up top as your first uh, offering. Uh, Patreon comments, uh, my friends on Patreon 
I'll never forget you. Uh, the uh, George Wolf is one of those. The international community have failed to act on international law regarding Israel for decades, allowing occupation, apartheid, and bombardment, and leaving almost no option for the Palestinians to evade terror and incarceration. Thank you, George. And Pamela Dimitriades von Blargan, a Moats legend, that's the higher tier of my most valuable friends. Yes, Biden could stop this right now by cutting all funding to Israel. Thank you, Pamela. John C., who's a Moach graduate, uh, says absolutely war crimes trouble is it's the police policing the police. True. Uh, Sunak said the latest hospital attack was probably Hamas. The lies being told by the West verge on genocide of the Palestinians. When are the Arab nations going to rise to save the Palestinians? And Barry McCann says it's a money laundering operation and the people on both sides are just collateral damage to the deep state. The real criminals are in power and need exposed and removed. Keep up the great work. Thanks, says, uh, thanks, uh, Barry. I appreciate that. Okay, Nottingham, uh, England is the next call. Afgar on Gaza. Afgar, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, George. Uh, first of all, let me just say what a pleasure it is uh, to uh, actually get to talk to you live. And the uh, second thing is, uh, you'd be quite surprised at how many elderly Asian women who are absolutely crazy about you. Now, perhaps you're quite... Uh, famous among that fraternity as well. Now, what I want to talk well, about, George, is... As my good wife is looking through the glass at me, uh, I, I must quickly say I'm happily married and taken and forevermore. Go ahead, Afghan. <laughs> uh, OK, that wasn't a proposal, by the way. That wasn't any suggestion either. Um, <laughs> on a more serious note, George, uh, you know this uh, ideology uh, of Israel, this uh, in impunity uh, back together with the overwhelming support it just seems to be unstoppable uh, uh, we can't seem to put an end to this injustice i know that you keep telling us that the only way to fight against this wave is to get the people informed and we do but honestly i feel that even if we had doubled the number or tripled it or even quadrupled it that it's not really going to do anything and the main problem is that this problem just cannot be solved with the existence of israel in the current mo and maybe we should now begin to look at a realistic solution what is the realistic outcome the only thing i can think of the only two options are probably more obscene than what is already going on so all the people we disheartened the heartbreaking news that comes through we just don't seem to have an answer and that's why i've called you george because maybe you have an answer maybe you have something that can put my heart to rest because when i see this news and i have to see it it just hurts me, hurts me so much. I'm beginning to lose my sense. I'm beginning to lose my faith in God. What come about? Uh, well, George? don't don't lose your faith in uh, don't lose your faith in God. Uh, God gave us uh, free will. Uh, we can choose to do good, or we can choose to do evil. He gave us a conscience, 
to, to make the distinction, to uh, define the difference. We know when we are uh, doing good and we know when we are doing wrong. And our leaders, their mouthpieces, and their ally, in this case Israel, knows very well uh, that it is uh, performing evil acts. No one can slaughter little infants in their thousands and know that they are doing so, know that they are going to do so, having switched off their water and their fuel and their food uh, before you even uh, began murdering them from the skies. No one can do these things without knowing in their conscience that it is wrong. Uh, so never lose your faith in God and never lose your faith in this either, Afghan. The great Englishman of letters, Dr. Johnson, said the knowledge that one is to be hanged in the morning concentrates the mind wonderfully. Now, it's not their fault, it's our fault. If we keep electing people who commit crimes against their own people and other people abroad, then don't expect anything to change. As Professor Einstein put it so wonderfully, uh, to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, is a very sign of madness. And Einstein was right about that and most other things. Uh, the, the truth is, we keep electing people who keep harming us and harming people and things that matter to us. MPs are, metaphorically speaking, hanged in the morning every four to five years and are about to face the electorate again uh, within the next 12 months, maybe even the next 12 weeks, if some of the speculation that we hear and read is true. But 12 months at the maximum. So you have to all do this. I'm talking now to the British people, but it applies elsewhere, of course, also, just a different address. You can easily find out who is your MP. And you have to write to them now, tonight, tomorrow, at the latest, by the weekend. You have to write to them. Be polite, but be absolutely clear and brief. Just tell them, if you do not publicly and in Parliament demand an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and the lifting of the siege of the people of Gaza, you will not receive my vote at the next general election. Now, let me let you in on a secret. MPs like me were very, very thin on the ground. You see, I didn't care if I was an MP or I wasn't. I didn't care because I am a politician with beliefs and convictions and a conscience, a highly developed one. I can assure you, a very highly developed one. I cannot say that which I don't believe. And I cannot do that in which I do not 
believe. So that's why I got kicked out of my seat as a Labour Member of Parliament. And the people of Methil, Bethnal Green and Bow in the East End of London uh, returned me straight back in again, uh, defeating a Blair a new Labour warmonger uh, in a pretty sensational victory. So uh, I got my reward, if you like, from the good people of East London for that. But if I had not, it would not have changed how I acted over the Iraq war, uh, because uh, in the words of Voltaire, here I stand, I can do no other. Um, and so there's not many like me. There were some, there are fewer now, but there's not many. The vast majority of members of parliament care about one thing more than any other thing, and that is that they should still be members of parliament the day after the next election. And it's a crude calculus. If they get, if their majority is 1,500 and they've got 5,500 people telling them that they will not vote for them unless they fight for a ceasefire and a lifting of the siege, trust me, that MP, you'll have them by the balls and their hearts and their minds will follow. That's what everyone now has to do. Sharpen it up. Make it clear. Be polite, but make it clear that there are no circumstances in which your MP will get your vote unless they are publicly seen to be demanding a ceasefire and a lifting of the siege. There you are. I've given you your homework. That's something practical that you can all do. And if you all do it, I promise you, having been a member of parliament for almost 30 years, I promise you it will make a difference. And five whole minutes after my mark to end the show. So I'd better quickly just thank you very much indeed for joining us. I hope uh, you found it a valuable show. I personally did, and I hope that you agree. Uh, I hope you'll spread uh, what you saw and heard here this evening. And I hope that you will bring another viewer with you uh, for the show, the next one, uh, which will be on Sunday. Now, beware, I don't know the exact times, but beware that the clocks change in Britain and the United States at different times. So 7 p.m., UK time next Sunday for the mother of all talk shows. Good night.